Buzzkill. 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 Blah, blah, blah. Buzzkill. Welcome to Buzzkill. I'm so glad you're here. I really am. My name is Paul Silva, and I'm your host, producer, valet driver, food taster, caddy, mater d, and at times, amateur zoologist. Maybe not. <laughs> Could be lying about some of those. I'll let you figure it out, sleuthers. Anyway, it's exciting to be here, and especially since you find cats are always here listening, learning, absorbing, questioning, raging... Maybe? I don't know. <laughs> perhaps perhaps you have a laugh now and then. But, you know, knowing that you're here brings me great joy. And s- Seriously. And to reach as many as I do, it fills this middle-aged Canadian man with gratitude. Eh? Uh, I often wonder if there's more I can do for you guys. And if there is, please let me know. Later on in the show, I'll be sharing how you can get a hold of me. It's shockingly easy, kittens. So stay tuned. So... Today I have a great and groovy guest, and like all the guests I've had on the show so far, I met her through social media, and I know that social gets a bad rap, but I love social. One of the first episodes of Buzzkill Pod was me talking about my recovery posse, the whole online recovery experience. Now, that has opened up for me a lot more with, you know, maybe a little less recovery, more about me and coaching and all that kind of stuff, and I've expanded to Facebook and LinkedIn, and so you'll find me scattered about. But the thing is, you know, we can choose how we create and curate our social space. And while people do go on about how negative social can be, you know, with the trolling and arguments and all that, it does boil down to how you're using it and not it, you know, using you. I may actually do an episode on that because, you know, studies in the last few years have been showing alarming amounts of depression and anxiety. Uh, there's even something called techno stress. I didn't know that. Uh, and, of course, addiction. So that, that might be something to do. Um, but when you think about it, really, guys, social is about relationships and building them with people that you want to have in your recovery circle or whatever type of close-knit circle you decide to keep. And that's the thing. You decide. It's your decision. And I've been fortunate and blessed to have a fantastic group of people around me. And one of those people is the guest on today's show, and she is AbFabDivine. <laughs> she and I have been following one another on Instagram, and I certainly have watched her grow and stretch and make some amazing steps towards her own growth and in her reach, you know, talking about what's important to her and influencing thought in the recovery space. And it's been a blast to bear witness to it. As my guest describes herself, you know, after several years of near daily drinking in her early to mid-20s, she rolled over in bed one morning on January 26, 2016, cried. We all need a good cry now and then. (laughs) And she said goodbye to champagne, wine, and gin. There's someone after my own heart there. All the Tom Collinses. Um, (laughs) And so, um, you know, she said goodbye to all that. And, you know, since then, my guest has lived a sober life through 12-step program, you know, hip sobriety school therapy and other spiritual work. And since she's a lifelong writer, she loves, you know, writing about the successes and trials of recovery, whether it's sober travel, astrology, health issues, compassion and change. And you can also find her work on the temper and you can also read her newest piece, Recovering the Home, which is a decluttering ebook aimed at sober women. 
And pay attention, guys, because she's offering a spectacular offer on that book just for you, the listeners of the podcast. How cool is that? I've never had that happen here. This is so cool. So stick around for that. And with that, I introduce you to Jocelyn Harvey. And this is my discussion with her. I hope you enjoy it. Hello, Jocelyn. Welcome to The Buzzkill. Um, I'd offer you some biscotti and mint tea if you were here, but physical distance doesn't allow me that grace. But I offer to you digitally. Oh, thank um, you so much. <laughs> I just want to thank you for being here uh, and taking the time to be here. It means a lot uh, to me. Well, of course. I'm happy to be here. Um, oh, it's very exciting over there. Um, so at the top of the show, I mentioned that you are ab fab divine. And I hope that doesn't inflate your ego. But seriously, um, you know, I've always been drawn to your energy, your vibe and your content. And I'm not alone, of course, you know, you have a ton of followers, which is amazing. Uh, and by the way, this is the part I gush about you. So just make sure. <laughs> <you're>, um, <laughs> so, I'll bask. Um, yeah, it's, it's all good. Um, what I really about what I really enjoy about your social and of course, by extension, you is that you share of yourself, but it's not in a kind of dear diary kind of way. And and so, I, you know, I feel like I know you and there's kind of a gentleness and kind of rawness, though, uh, in, in what you share. And, you know, you're open. Um, but the sense is also that you invite others to step into their own power and greatness. And you, you invite others to kind of through your stories and what you talk about is to break out of their old stories. And and so you're encouraging, but also but you also challenge and you voice your opinions on things big and small and, and not in a combative way, but in a way to spark discussion. Uh, and of course, you know, I think, uh, you know, you, you have that beaming smile <laughs> and that voice <laughs> that is soothing and grounding. You need to do meditation tapes for realies. I'm just saying, um, <laughs> I love reading your posts and also seeing what you're up to. So I just want to thank you for being that, having that presence online and in person. I thank you so much. All, all kind things. It's all good. It's all true. Um, so Jocelyn, can you share with us sort of the Coles Notes version of your story, just a few minutes about what brought you to recovery in the first place? Yeah, definitely. So I, in high school, you know, I would drink here and there, not a ton. Um, but whenever I did drink, some pretty big things would happen um, most of the time. And in college, I was a very heavy drinker my freshman year, um, started dating someone who kind of really, you know, kept me grounded and got me through college. But what really uh, took me down was after I graduated, I got a job right away, which was fantastic. And I thought like, well, I'm an adult, I have a job, I guess I need to end my days with drinking every day. And, you know, it's so progressive. It was just a glass of wine and then a few glasses of wine. And then I learned about like gin, like I was like a 22 year old gin drinker <laughs> and um, it just really got out of control to a point where um, I got sober a few months before my 25th birthday. But for those like three years, I pretty much drank every single day heavily and was also binging on the weekend. Yeah. So really what happened was I was really far down emotionally. Um, I didn't even have mental health at that time. It was just like full on mental illness. Um, I was really physically um, hurt just because I was just drinking such large quantities. And you know, what really like got me into recovery was that my body just broke down on me. 
And I started to know that I had a dependence on, on drinking. I was starting to develop the shakes, but I just thought like, okay, this has just got to be part of my life. I never even thought like, you know, just stop drinking. And one morning I really just like rolled over in bed after like a, a normal bar night for me, it wasn't like anything really great or really bad had happened. I just rolled over in bed the next morning and started crying. I was like, I can't do this anymore. Like, you know, if I want to continue to, you know, live a few more years. And yeah, I, I really, I got sober right away. I didn't, you know, wean myself off or anything. I just went cold turkey. Ooh. For better or worse. <laughs> At that time, I didn't know that it might not always be suggested to go cold turkey, but yeah. um, that's, that's what I did. Yeah, it's, you know, thank you for sharing that. And, you know, it's, that's when people talk about bottoms, you know, we think of those horrid consequences. I mean, those are consequences, like, you know, the getting arrested and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But the bottom is exactly what you described. And I can share that that was my experience was I just woke up one day and said, I can't do this anymore. Like I'm, I, I can't, you know, the body has given out so many times and uh, just mentally, emotionally, you just, you're done, you're tapped out. And it sounds like that was kind of your experience there. Yeah. There was just, there was nothing left. There was, and at that time too, I also didn't really like drinking, but I was like, I just got to do this. So I was kind of quote over it. Well, you know, my, my soul was over it. Yeah. Hashtag over it. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so you're coming up, if I'm not mistaken, four years sober coming up in a, in yep. a, in a little bit. Yeah. So, in January, January. Yeah. So cool. Um, how would you say, you know, I, I know for a lot of us, you know, certainly for me, um, every year, especially in this early part of recovery, every year is just a little bit different. You know, how would you say that your recovery has changed in those, those years. That, that is, what has your focus been on in each of those first four years? Yeah, so my going, like in my first year, right when I got sober, it was just decompressing. I didn't even realize I was in a fog until about 10 months, which is pretty common. You see people at 10 months oh, yeah. over being like, oh my gosh, what, what to do? Um, <laughs> so that was that first year. Um, my second year, I was... I had gone through a lot of those exciting like firsts in recovery. So it was then it was like really settling into the like day to day. Um, I was in a job that I really didn't enjoy. So it was finding like, how can I work with this job? I learned a lot of self-care that year. Mm -hmm. um, last year, definitely my hardest year in recovery. It started in like summer of 18. It just like all the rage and anger and grief. I didn't know that I really had started popping up. So even though I was still doing my, um, you know, traditional recovery, which started like in the rooms, I started seeing a therapist, I started doing, um, you know, other spiritual work, um, and just really like knowing how to sit with and harness and use those, I call them like less savory emotions, but the ones that we go through. Um, and then this year has really been like an awesome Physically, it's been a very terrible year, but in terms of my um, creativity and passion, like this was the year that I was like, okay, like I want to write a book and I really want to lean into that gift that I have um, and really showing up for myself in deadlines. I had this narrative that I was lazy. Like that was just like my entire life. I'm lazy, 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 where like so many things that I've done showed the opposite. So this was really my like huge confidence boosting year. Um, and I felt really solid in my recovery, not at the like, I got it level. Um, 
but this has been a really exciting year, I, I will say. Yeah, it's, it's amazing how I was just laughing uh, to myself about that whole, um, that getting out of the fog. You know, I, I was described by someone as, you know, I was a zombie. Like even, mm-hmm. even though I felt like, yeah, I'm feeling pretty good after like six months or something. I was a total, like just the walking dead. Um, but, you know, I love what you said about sort of, um, you know, it's, it's like, it's, it's an opening up, right? So at first it's just kind of getting back into your body in so many ways and, and slowly then into your mind and into your emotions and to your spirit. So it's this unfolding. And as you learn the self-care, um, that's when a lot of things come, come to, to mind. That's when you start to see, um, really the damage or at least maybe not so much the damage, but also what, what you've been missing out on. Mm-hmm. And that sounds like uh, that. And now that's a, it, it sounds like a very natural and organic way uh, of moving through your recovery. Yeah, it's been, I, I, when I was, um, in early, I mean, I'm still in early, but like my first year, I was like, you know, I want my job to like be this and happier in this way and more and more and more. And, and as I look back, I'm glad that it all unfolded the way it did because I really needed to have that like structure in place of like self-care and actually like knowing more than like happy and sad and depressed emotions to be mm-hmm. able to like handle all these big changes. So everything just like unraveled for my particular recovery in the way that it needed to. So it's I think that's been like the beauty of getting more time is that like I've just gone through enough of the same things and I get like a little better and a little more graceful each time that I'm starting to really like actually be able to live like a day at a time and trust because in like the first like year you don't really have much to go off of so mm-hmm. the trust isn't there and now I do feel like the trust is beginning to be there. Yeah oh uh, that's so well said Jocelyn because there there is you know, we don't have anything to, to, to compare it to. We don't have, you know, we, this is the first time we've been in that place. And then, so, you know, coming at it from trust, you know, I think that's a, it's a wonderful uh, thing to, to express is that we come to trust not only ourselves, but in a way, trust the process and trust that, you know, our, our, our well-being, you know, our highest self is going to come through. Um, you know, one thing, you know, that happens a lot is when we get sober is that we kind of reawaken things that, you know, we used to do, or it ignites that need to explore things. Cause now you're out of that, that fog and you're like, okay, the question is now what, like now what, now what do I do? And, you know, for someone like myself as someone who loved writing uh, in my drinking days, that started to disappear until I was barely writing. I mean, drinking was my thing. And it was about a year into sobriety. I picked up, you know, the proverbial pen or keyboard. Whatever it was, <laughs> And I started that slowly, like it was a blog and a book and articles. Now for you, as a self-described lifelong writer, like, did you write while you were still like in those drinking days or did it kind of go underground and did it reemerge when you get sober? Like, how did the writing fit into your, into your, your life as it changed? Oh, writing just went away. I, I had a few jobs where I was writing, not the stuff that I would, you know, really be excited to write. So I always had like a foot in it, but th- my own writing that I really enjoyed, like that just went by the wayside, like everything, all my activities revolved around drinking, you know, once it really got going, I remember being on a date, and the guy was like, Oh, what do you what are your hobbies? What do you like to do? And I was like, "Uh, drink and go out to restaurants (laughs) and drink. And like, it literally was just, that's all I did. So it took me some time to 
um, be able to write again. And of course, like writers love reading and it really took my mind some time to like chill out before I could sit down and, and read it. Just, it's amazing, uh, you know, in a perverse way, like what addiction can take away from you. Like these really basic things that you love, you have mm -hmm. to earn them back. Yeah. It, it's amazing. You're right. It's amazing what it does. I, you know, even to at a base level, like even hygiene, like it's, it's amazing how, how far we can go and, and especially, and it's, it's, it's interesting how our, our passions are the things that really drive us are, are one of the first to go, you know, it's, it's because now our, our attention and energy has shifted into drinking and how that makes us feel or not feel, if you will. Um, so you've picked up your writing again, clearly. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, I imagine like with your writing that you're using it not only to create art, but to, you know, create discussion to talk about your recovery. And um, so you've written many articles for The Temper, yep. um, which how would you describe The Temper for someone who hasn't uh, unfamiliar with The Temper? Oh, The Temper. How would I describe it? It's just it's just cool. It's like, it's, <laughs> it's cool. It's badass. It's um, like, you know, I read other sites like the fix um, mm -hmm. and they have different opinions on it, but it's still like really um, heavily like 12 step based. So if you're just kind of looking for something different and if you're looking for something that's really led by women, it's more inclusive to LGBTQA as well. Mm -hmm. um, it's just like a really, it's a really fun place to go and there's not like a very caustic well there's not a comment section so it's also just like a safe place to land um yeah. but yeah I like I had read a bit of um Holly's original blog when I got sober not too much of it but I actually went through her school last year with like a few years of sobriety and it was um just it just added like another layer that I wasn't hearing about so I love it it's fun <laughs> Yeah. So the, so again, for those who don't know the, the fix and the temper are sort of like online, um, you know, recovery magazines, if you will, are sort of like places where there's a lot of opinion pieces, um, something like that. And, and Holly, for those who don't know Holly, who is Holly? Who is Holly? Holly, <laughs> Holly is, um, she has been, she's been sober for a few years. Um, I can't even remember the name of her. Oh, hips, hip sobriety. Hip sobriety that, was the, yeah. that was the name of her, you know, original um, blog and just kind of like talking about the different things she used to get sober. Like, you know, yoga was really big meditation, Kundalini, um, you know, a lot of books and reading and she's just, you know, a writer. So it's just a very, it's a, it's a different take than um, especially a few years ago, like a very different take than, than what was out there yeah and and yeah exactly and i i remember uh, reading her that's um holly whitaker um um reading her stuff as well and how she has shifted in her um in in her recovery and how she sees it and how she's putting it out there and so so you you have written for that and um and i love some of the the, the articles you've written like you know there was and it's such a wide range that you've written like you know <laughs> is kombucha safe for those in recovery or your love of movies is therapy finding the right kind of friends in recovery and all that, which is the one, you know, which is the one article that has stood out for you in terms of, but you said there's no comments and all that in there, but you know, you may have heard responses through other means and all that. Is there one that, that stands out for you? Yeah. So, um, well, actually it's funny. The kombucha one came through. I was looking at my phone before and I was like, why am I like blowing up right now? And I was like, Oh, the kombucha <laughs> article just came out. That was and a good one there's actually been a lot of people like commenting on it. So I yeah. think in terms of like, um, sorry, not commenting like on the site, but like in the 
comment section on Instagram, which is still like very, very tame. Um, so I think that's like a cool one because it's very, it, it applies to a lot of people in recovery, pretty much mm. all people in recovery. Um, but the one, of course, that I'm just really the most proud of would be the ultimate, I'm going to mess up the title, but basically like the ultimate guide for like black women um, looking to get into therapy, like in relation to their recovery. That one was just, um, that was like an easy article to write. The kombucha one, exceptionally hard <laughs> because there's no, there's no answer. But being able to write about that one was just really big because, you know, I write my recovery for everyone. But, you know, a big part of getting sober and, you know, the last few years in this country, I'll just leave it like that. Um, I think uh, a lot of, um, I, I say the term like black people you know, people of color is the big one, but, you know, I'm a black person. Um, it's just like coming to grips with like what that means um, in your recovery and what that means with your life stories and the type of like big T and little T traumas that you've experienced or microaggressions. So it, I really love that they gave me, um, you know, the space to be able to like really write this like long form piece on that and like really speak to black women. Um, exclusively was was just awesome and a lot of the tips like anyone could take but still just being able to be like this article is for you and a lot of stuff isn't really for us um i'm really proud of that piece yeah it's wonderful and, and you know i was as, as i was kind of looking um through your stuff it it's you mentioned you know person of color that's kind of the term that's in vogue now i guess um but even the titles of your of, of your articles you know you had the ultimate guide for uh, women of color seeking therapy. And then uh, I believe it's your latest one, how being black can shape your recovery experience. So it's almost like you shifted the language a little bit there. Yeah, yeah, true. And I think that one was even, it might be in like the slug, the like the website slug was like recovering while black. I was like, can we please squeeze that in? Because like black people get that, like driving while black, walking while black, all yeah. the, the things you're doing while black. Um, so yeah, it, it, it has shifted. Yeah. And, you know, I, I was I was looking at that one in particular, how being black can shape your recovery experience, because, you know, when I when it first came out, because I think I saw it pop up on your your Instagram feed and I went to it and I thought, first of all, I was like, it's, it's so well written. I thought, but I also thought, wow, it's it's about time. It, it's it's nice to read this like it's good to read it like it felt like it's been a long time coming in some way. And listen, for for me, I'm a middle aged cishet white passing male who understands entitlement um his entitlement and so I, of course i know that's not my story to tell obviously um but it's it's so refreshing it's so wonderful to see uh this type of um, you know work being uh, put out there and having so someone talk about race and recovery and i think it's i don't know if it's something that people just avoid talking about in recovery circles um what was your what was the kind of initial reaction when you when you posted that Hmm, let me think. That one was, since that one was earlier in this year, you know, it was really strong. Um, a lot of the comments that I got when I posted in my story, um, because most of my followers are white women, um, you know, were, were from, but I definitely like really focused into on, um, you know, the black women who were, who were speaking and just, it was, yes, it was like, thank you. Like, or I didn't even know I needed this. Um, 
it was just, I, I think it, a lot of people were able to relate to it um, in terms of feeling validated about their experience and wanting to talk about certain things and that it's okay to do that. And it doesn't make you like an ungrateful sober person. Mm-hmm. Um, and then actually I do remember in that piece too, like throwing in a, you know, a metaphor to get people who, you know, like aren't black to understand. And it was at that time, the um, Dr. Ford case was going on in the States with Mm -hmm. Dr. Ford and Brett Kavanaugh. And, you know, I was just sort of like, you know, watching at work too and online, you know, the rage of a a lot of women were having the really understandable rage, um, a lot of white women, especially, and sort of saying like, okay, like the rage that you felt like when that was going on during that week, like that's a very similar rage to like what black people, black women experience multiple times a year, um, you know, with the amount of like, Black people who were shot or, or killed for no good reason at all. So it was, um, I like being able to like put that in there and to be able to like inform and speak to two different audiences. Yeah, it's interesting that that's, that's the reaction you got. And in, in a lot of, uh, you said a lot of your followers are, are white women and, and having them see something from a different point of view, something that, again, it, it doesn't cross their minds because it's, you know, you put that wonderful example of, of the, at the time, Kavanaugh, um, uh, you know, the, uh, the talks, the, the, what was going on and, and saying like, Hey, if you think there's a lot of outrage and anger and all that, listening to, to that testimony, imagine what it's, that's like 24 seven for, for, for us. Like that's, that's what it feels like. Yeah, it was, it was a, he- it was a, it was a heavy piece to write. Um, but I'm, I'm also very glad I wrote that piece too. Yeah. And, and what was the, what was the, the spark? What was the genesis for, for writing that piece? Oh, I'm trying to even think it just, it might've been kind of like a pitch us ideas. <laughs> and it's, it's like when you're going to college, you have like the, the safe school, the reach school and the like, Hey, like we'll try for this. And it was like it, you know, kind of up there as the, you know, you'll try for this. But I would say at that point in my recovery, I was like seeing when I wrote it, I actually thought it was last year, but it was, um, you know, in March of this year was I was, I was starting to expand out of the, um, still very necessary and wonderful, like basics of sobriety and be like, Hey, I'm going to talk about things in sobriety that like, not, you know, that 10 other people aren't talking about, um, Mm -hmm. and things that, you know, felt very like, that felt very pressing because there's so like, we were always going to need like those tips. Um, they're great, but it was like, you know, I've done that for a while. I want to go a little, um, I don't want to say deeper because that sounds demeaning, but you know what I mean? Like I just wanted mm. to go in a different direction. Yeah. And you do. And it's, it's such, if anyone hasn't read it, please do. It's in the, uh, it'll be in the show notes and um, it it's uh, and, and also linked to all her other pieces, uh, Jocelyn's other work. Um, there was, you know, there was something, uh, there was so much I got out of it. And there was, there was a few things that, that really struck, uh, struck a chord in, in many ways. And um you know, you talked about, you know, you know, in quotes, our race adds another complex layer onto what it means to recover and live a life where you don't want or need to turn to an addictive substance to simply exist. And I, I just wonder, like what you, you talked about some ways how being black shaped your experience in recovery. Could you kind of go over a little bit of, of what, what those were and, and what those meant to you? Yeah, so in some of them was just like the practicalities um, and or practicality is not the right word, but 
for example, having microaggressions. And this is something that like even women could probably, women could definitely relate to, but you know, these, these microaggressions that you go through throughout the day that like some people who are not black like can get and then other people are like oh well maybe you should look at it a different way or like you don't know like if someone meant that but it, you know when you've mm -hmm. been in like a black body your entire life like I can pick up when someone's got some like racist stuff or when it's like oh that was just a misunderstanding mm -hmm. so it was you know the importance of finding someone whether it's like a sponsor a, um, a therapist like a group who like even if they're not black can at least hold space and let you process that because that's so much of what recovery is is how do we get through the day-to-day -day without needing or wanting to drink and having someone that can you know validate those experiences for you and not put them down or um you know try to center themselves around it i think was was really what i what i wanted to get at um like i had an experience the other day i was at a coffee shop and it wasn't particularly loud but they were trying to call out food orders and this woman at another table looked at me and was like did you order food and sort of made this motion that you would like make to an animal sign language like bringing your oh, hands together oh. and like putting them towards your mouth and i was just like gobsmacked i'm like are you are you kidding me <laughs> like, Oh it's not something that I wanted to like, I was like, oh, yeah, I don't need to go like drink over this. And, and at that point, it wasn't, you know, my thought, but it's like, okay, how can someone feel safe if something like that happens to them and going to talk to someone and not feel like they're going to be put down for that? Um, that's just like something that's not going to happen if you're white for the most mm -hmm. part. Like, yeah, it's yeah. just not going to happen. Other crappy things can happen, but they're usually not based around the color of your skin. Yeah. And, and again, that's, that's an example where, you know, I, like you said, that, that probably wouldn't happen to me or anyone else, but the microaggressions, that's, that's, that's really important because th those are just subtle and maybe not so subtle cues, you know, in terms of, you know, posturing and power or whatever it is that people do uh, consciously or subconsciously. And, and you're able to pick these up. Um, you know, there's, it's, you know, because when I was reading this too, there was, you know, there was a lot about emotion, you know, there's mm -hmm. talking about emotions. And, and when you and I first spoke about um, doing this, it had me, I had just recently, it was on Twitter, actually, it was like one of those long threads. And I, I wish I had kept it. It was, it was, it was amazing. It was fantastic. And, and it was a black woman talking about anger and, <laughs> and what it's like, like, and, and how there's this, you know, like there's this, this trope, if you will, of, of the, the angry black woman. And like, it's almost like, you know, she talked about they're not supposed to push back. And when they do, they're deemed like domineering or aggressive or threatening or loud. And of course, this is the, it's like a stereotype, but it, it's also the perception of the people hearing her. Um, and, you know, and, and she was talking about, you know, it's important to understand the diversity of a black woman's experience, not just her anger, not focusing just on one uh, emotion per se. Uh, in terms of just, you know, the, the whole range of emotions, and of course, because in recovery, we go through, oh my gosh, you know, the first year of sobriety, it's just like you said, like all you knew was just happy inside. It's like, it's even the emojis have more range of response <laughs> than, than, than we do. The emojis on our key, on our, on our phone. Because at first you have no idea, like what is going on? It's like, you need those charts and you got to point to a face and say, that's me right now. Um, and so in terms of like, you know, the, 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 the range of emotions, and, and just through what you talked about, the microaggressions and, and how, uh, you know, people filter or see you, how, how was your, how was, what was your experience when dealing with your own strong emotions as someone who was going through early recovery? 
Oh, yes. So in early recovery, like I had strong emotions, but they were just, I didn't really start getting like the really like, you know, rage, anger, really like race related stuff until last year. And that I needed to, I needed to go to therapy for that. I needed to go to therapy for like a lot of things and just sort of <laughs> process my, my childhood. And I was ready to, you know, before I was like, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. And then I was, something happened and I was like, oh yes, now is the time. And, you know, I got in and my therapist was like, how do you feel? And I was like, I'm irritated. And we kind of dug into that. And, you know, I was adopted by a white family in New England. So, you know, we really don't share our emotions. And like, that was like my mom's phrase for everything was irritated. <laughs> and we had to like dig under <laughs> what that really meant. And she was really good at working with me on anger because, you know, in recovery, especially certain areas in recovery, anger is just like, really frowned upon and I was talking to someone the other day and I, I mentioned this and I think it's because in a lot of cases like people associate like anger and violence as being attached so it's like mm. we know now that you're sober like you can't be like especially like back when certain things were written when it was you know more common to you know domestic violence still very common but when there weren't the legalities about it it's like we can't be angry anymore you know, is that what that meant? And now it's like, anger is just, it's something that you have and you need to know how to work through it. And it's also something, you know, I'm always very blunt about this is like men have been allowed anger for a very long time, like mm -hmm. specifically like white men, black anger is still like, it's a very dangerous thing. It can, it can get black men killed. Um, but like women certainly not allowed their anger, black women, like don't even think about getting angry yeah. and there's like these demographics and even like people in certain like family environments they like need to learn that it's okay to feel that anger um and that you can have justified anger like it is okay to be angry at something that happened to your office or something that happened to the news um but learning like one of the most important things for me was learning how long my anger lasted and for the most part I can like cycle through something that I'm like really fired up about in like 24 hours and that's beautiful but if I try to pretend like I'm not angry I'm not angry I'm going to meditate and be grateful like that's just going to like stick with me for a really long time and I'm going to mm -hmm. get resentful about it so um that that took a while to like learn how to do and I really needed like that safe space um and someone who was you know frankly qualified to be able to hold that energy and now it's just something I don't really get too fired up about. I mean, like I get fired up about things, but I'm like, okay, I'm angry. Check back in myself in 24 hours. Like, oh, okay, yeah. I'm mellow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's important. You know, in, in terms of, um, especially with anger, you know, and what you talked about, you know, like, okay, I'm just going to meditate, just meditate and, and, not, and not, you know, look into the anger you know that's that's sort of like a spiritual bypassing you know like i'm just going to meditate it out and that's that's not how that really works you know you can process it and feel it and regardless of you know who you are is to, is to to feel it and move through it and then you can meditate like you can certainly then you can you can sit with it and say okay what did i learn or what happened here or what but anger is a healthy you know it's it's a healthy if expressed in a healthy way you know, mm. it, it gets us into motion, gets us in the movement. Social justice movements come from dissatisfaction and anger. Like there's, there's a lot within us that can motivate us to, to move. So, but certainly early in recovery is really about, you know, because we're so, so many of us are afraid of our anger, at, you know, off the bat. And, and so 
I, I know that was my experience. It was like, I was, I feared my anger. I thought I was, because it was either nothing or rage and, and learning to manage it in, in recovery, just saying like, yeah, I can be annoyed. I can be frustrated. I can be disappointed. There's such a, a palette there of where, what anger can look like. And it sounds like you have obviously taken great pains to, to explore that. And, and you do check in with yourself and understand what, what it's like to, um, to, to move through that in a healthy way. Yeah, in a healthy way and like telling people if I am or even, you know, putting myself in a sense in like time out. Like if I'm angry at work and I know that it could like potentially come out on someone else, just being like my desk mate, like, hey, I'm sorry. I'm like not in a great mood today. I will try not to snap. If I do, let me know. I'll apologize. But just, you know, owning, yeah. <laughs> owning where you are at the time. Oh, that's so polite of you. <laughs> so, new, so New England of you. Um <laughs> Um, you know, you, you mentioned holding space a couple of times and you talk about that too in, in uh, the article, just saying like, you know, what you talked about seeing, you know, finding how important it is to seek others who look like you or failing that uh, or, in, you know, with that, finding someone who can hold the space for you. Can you just explain a little bit more about that? Yeah. So for myself, whether it's been, you know, a therapist or, um, you know, I've had, I've had the honor of having two very, very amazing sponsors in sobriety who have been space holders. Um, but it's just, uh, you know, if you've grown up in a situation where you have been invalidated a lot and told that you're wrong or that, um, you know, you just need to get over it and things like that, like you, you start to carry that, you know, through your life. So just finding someone who can just be, be gentle. It's like, it's not a, it's a basic sounding thing and it's hard to do to hold space for people, but someone who can just, you know, really sit there. And I write, I write about this in the, uh, the therapy one too, is that that doesn't necessarily mean finding a therapist who, you know, looks like you or, you know, has the same religion as you necessarily means that like, they're going to be the best person. Like they can come with their own biases, um, mm -hmm. you know, within your culture. So, they're actually the therapist. I'm in Vermont, so it's not like there is a slew of, <laughs> of black <laughs> women to choose from. So I, I have a white therapist and she's mm -hmm. just absolutely amazing. And it, it is a little easier for me, I think, um, to walk into that as well, having been raised, you know, by a white family in very white parts of the country. It's not like I moved up here and was like, oh my gosh, like <laughs> there's not a lot of diversity and I'm so used to diversity. Um, mm -hmm. But it's just... Yeah, yeah, it's just finding, yeah, finding someone you feel, feel safe with. And also like someone who can let you say what you need to and pause and then start to work on, and maybe not start to work on, but say, just suggest things. That's something that I'm not good at is like, I will, I'm a fixer. So if someone tells me something, I'm not the best space holder. <laughs> for certain things. Like, I'll be like, okay, well, like try, maybe we should try to do this and this and that. And, and that's what I've loved about, you know, my therapist and my, and my sponsors is like, you know, sometimes they'll just like listen and then other times they'll know when to like, okay, well, why don't you like try this? Mm -hmm. or that. Um, you know, you just need different things at different times. Yeah. And that's, it's funny because that's, you just describe a lot of what I do now in the coaching. That's, it's just a lot of, it is holding space and it is allowing them to process things and not, and not be the fixer, you know, and just, you know, cause a lot of times it's, you, we have that inner knowing, we know what it is most of the time that is going to help us and really tapping into that and your intuition and stuff. So it's really important uh, to have those people in your life 
especially if you're early recovery to, to, to hold that space for you, you know, to just, and to feel safe, you know, and it doesn't matter what comes out. It's just, it's just knowing that you feel safe. And I think that that's really, really important. I'm glad you really touched on that many times. And, you know, you mentioned diversity and, um, you know, I've been to like, I can't count how many recovery meetings back in the day. And, and I'm in, I'm in Toronto and this is one of the most diverse cities in North America, maybe even in the world. Um, and at the meetings, I still, it was just, it was just such a small minority of people, like, you know, not non-white people. It just, I never, I just never understood. Like, I'm like, I'm in Toronto. Like I should be seeing such a wide range of people at these meetings. And, and I always wondered like, you know, where, those, you know, where those people were, you know, people who weren't white, you know, where, where are they getting the recovery? Like, and it would be naive, you know, for me to think that there weren't alcoholics and addicts in every culture and every race. And, and so do you think like in, in terms of that, and I don't know if that's your experience as well, but do you, do you think there's, uh, there's a cultural aspect at work where maybe people don't talk about it openly and hence maybe don't go to meetings or reach out, or maybe there's something about shame. Cause you mentioned in your piece, you know, something about black shame specifically like what are your thoughts on that in in those kind of group uh recovery type meetings and settings so this is one of those interesting <laughs> questions for me i i call myself um no one is ever going to think i'm biracial I'm, I'm very very dark but i i call myself like emotionally biracial mm-hmm. um so i you know i wasn't i wasn't raised in quote black culture um so i am saying this as a library from what i understand um and it's not that necessarily if you are in a you know white culture that you're necessarily like talking about things all the time. My New England family, we still, you know, don't talk about things. But, you know, therapy isn't like an out there suggestion for someone to go to. Um, there isn't so much necessarily like uh, going, you know, going to church to take care of, you know, your addiction problems or, um, you know, even within that, something I did feel um, when I was getting sober and cons- or not getting sober, but when I was bottoming out was I was like, I might go to therapy, but like, oh, like I'm a strong black woman. Like I should be able to like handle this. And I even remember mm. thinking like therapies for my white friends, Never mind the fact that like when I was younger, I went to therapy, but there could be that like, you know, there's that shame as well that like, you know, you're a strong black woman. Like, why don't you have this together? Like just handle life. Yeah. And, um, it- and then there's also just like, if you don't have representation, it might be something you're thinking of. And until you see that someone else is doing it, like it's just not in your, um, it's not in your visuals that it's possible. Yeah. I like how you said, I I like how you described emotionally biracial that that's fascinating. I love, I love how you, you mentioned that and also just coming at it and, and also how, how, even though that wasn't culturally wasn't your experience, there was this jumping to, well, you're a strong black woman. You should be able to handle this. Like how that, it's interesting how that came up, you know, like, it's just, it's, it's like that came from somewhere. And, and so there's so many different, you know, misunderstand, like people have just in terms of thoughts and where they're coming from, it's such a wide range. And, and we don't know where these are coming. I just find it. I find this just so fascinating, Jocelyn. Sorry. It's just, it's, it is really, really, and it's important too uh, to be talking about this. And, you know, again, you know, you talk about holding a space, which is obviously very important. Is there, is there anything else that, you know, you know, non, you know, for, for white people, I'm just saying white people, 
<laughs> you know us white people um, or white passing. Um, is there something else other than holding a space that um, we can do or they can do that, that to help be an ally, you know, to help, you know, to really kind of uh, make someone feel more welcome and accepted into, uh, you know, again, the, the rooms have a very, don't have very diverse uh, meetings and groups. Yeah, so something that I would say for um, acceptance, ugh, what to do? Well, I would say at least in the online space, it's interesting, like being in like the rooms and also like online, they're very different recovery spaces. Oh, yeah, they are. <laughs> uh, they're, they're extremely, di- they're, 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 they're very, different. very different. I feel almost like the conservative <laughs> of the bunch, <laughs> like having like... A 12-step background, I'm like, oh gosh, um, moderate, <laughs> right? But, um, I, you know, online, I think a really big thing, too, is, you know, amplifying voices. It's hard. Um, it's something that I focus on doing as well, Um I mean, my follower count is compared to, I don't consider myself a sober influencer compared to other people and my follower count is tiny, but you know, it, it does have its reach and, um, you know, making sure it's like, you know, highlighting, you know, other, other black women, because there are so many great people in the recovery space, um, you know, who are, are white and have, you know, amazing things to say, always learning from them, but like na- naturally they're going to get the attention um, and they're mm-hmm. going to get like the following. So how can, you know, you start to like help other people up um, listening to stories um, in terms of like in the rooms that is, again, it's kind of hard. Cause like for me going into AA, even though sometimes I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is like a very not like, sometimes I just feel it. I think it's like getting older. I'm like, wow, this is like really, really white. <laughs> I've been growing up it's just welcoming people as you do. And I, you know, I've always felt welcome. Nothing. Um, I did get mistaken once for like a 70 uh, year old black woman, which was interesting. <laughs> I mean, the phrase like black don't crack. She had amazing skin, but still we did not really look anything alike. And someone's like, I love what you shared. And I was like, huh? Huh? And then I looked over and I was like, you mean her? And they're like, oh, oh. and I was like, oh my gosh, you just don't even have any shame about that. Like it was, oh whole, it was hilarious, but very also at the same time, like, oh my gosh, like, I can't believe like the, there's just such a little diversity that like, oh, here's a black person. <laughs> Must have oh been you. Um, but, you know, just, you know, welcoming and, you know, just asking, I guess it would be that case, like asking, you know, people to speak as well and hear their stories. But like, you know, still at the same time, even though it's like not a diverse place, I've always felt, you know, extremely, you know, extremely welcome. There was a time when I went to a, a meeting with a friend though, and and someone was sort of asking about me and was like, oh, you know, you're always welcome. And I'm, I didn't exactly know what she meant. And then I was like, oh, this isn't a race thing. Like she just doesn't think I'm like an alcoholic. <laughs> Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so I said that, and she's like, "Oh, oh," and then she's like, "Do you want to come speak?" <laughs> and I was gone the next weekend, so I couldn't. But just like you know, understanding that like anyone can you know can walk in and and you know you just you just want to you just want to feel like you can share share your story and have your story understood. Okay, so Jocelyn, yeah, and it's it's it is. Thank you for for sharing that, and it is, uh, you know, the online space I I, I adore. 
uh, just for many of the reasons that you mentioned. And I was laughing because um, at times I do feel <laughs> like a conservative as well, but it is such a, it's such a, a, a beautiful space. And I think that's why um, I, I just find so much rich richness in there and, and it's really important, but regardless, you know, not everyone's in that space. And a lot of people, the only space they have is, uh, are the rooms or other groups and, and knowing that, I mean, that's just, just inviting listening. It's so important. Um, so, you know, I'm just going to switch gears. I mean, so, you know, in terms of writing, uh, you know, you do other things other than write for the Tempest. <laughs> so, um, you know, the one thing that I, I thought was really cool that, um, that you did and it, it's recovering the home recovering the home can you tell me a little bit about that and what inspired it yeah so recovering the home you got to go back a few years to my first year of sobriety i was reading mari kondo's book and i had like a lot of energy and i didn't love my home anymore so i was going through her process and i just learned so much through decluttering and organizing about myself like it was just this interesting journey and then over the years it's something that i've turned to like if i'm stressed or um just have more energy that i need to like burn off or um and it, it's something i realized i was i was quite good at too mm -hmm. So, so I had that, I was really good at that. And, you know, I also was really good at writing. So I, I didn't know where I wanted to go. Like I almost thought like, do I want to start like training to become like a professional organizer? And I was on a trip in Florida this end of February and I was walking around and I just heard that like, I always say like the universe doesn't really yell at me or my higher power. It's always been a whisper. Mm -hmm. And it was just like this whisper of recovering the home. And I was like, oh, interesting so at that point I, I really put together quite quickly that I could you know blend my passion for you know organizing or not so much organizing but decluttering and how it can be um, really therapeutic and aim it specifically at women in recovery anyone can read it but I just write you know very much for women mm -hmm. um, and I just started on that process you know within a month I worked with a writing coach and it came out in October and I mean, I just learned so much from it. Like, I think I said at the beginning that lazy was always this phrase I would use for myself. And after writing that and putting it out and all I did, like, I don't ever use lazy anymore. It's not even in my vocabulary. Yeah, oh, that's great. <laughs> but that's how, you know, that started. It's still how a lot of my writing ideas start. It's like something will just really drop in and I'll, I'll, I'll run with it. Yeah, so, you, so there's a connection. So you, you make the connection between decluttering and organizing and, and things in the home to recovery. So what, what's that? Is there like an emotional tie to it? Like what's, how does that process work when someone is, you know, trying to clean up the space? Is there a connection to the emotional part, the mental side? Like, how does that work? Yeah. So I go through each room of the house and the closet also gets its own space. So they're all a little different. Like some rooms, they just might, I talk a lot about like the heavy, drinking energy that you might have so like you know is your bedroom really conducive to your drinking um you know hangovers you know certain spaces are just going to have you know that energy if you were drinking in the house um and then other times it's just the acceptance that when we get sober a lot of things change in our life and sometimes it doesn't seem like really huge changes but for myself especially in the closet one of the things i talked about was just i I put out this certain image when I was drinking that I was like the sophisticated drinker. And I, you know, I would spend like $15 on a cocktail without thinking. And I did not have $15 cocktail money. 
<laughs> just putting that out there. <laughs> and you know, so I had all these outfits and I was also like 22, 23 at the time. So I had all these like really fancy outfits and, and I got sober and I was like, I don't really like doing that. And I'm not really at a place where I want to be going and like dropping a hundred dollars anymore for like food and cocktails. Like does this closet really support the life that I have now in sobriety? Does this space really support the life that I have in sobriety? Um, and it's just like being open to those changes. And I try to do it in this gentle way of like not demeaning your past. Like mm -hmm. you did certain things, you made certain choices. And also some of the choices, it doesn't mean that they were like wrong or bad. They were just a different phase in your life. And it's okay to move into that new phase. Yeah, that's great. I love that. And it's funny because uh, I was talking to someone about, a conversation came up about decluttering and um sort of that connection you know with energy like you said there's there's something about you know a space that is conducive to you know to cleaner thinking to like when i see a room that's tidy like it doesn't have to be ikea showroom but there is some there's there's something peaceful about it there's some serenity around it there's you feel like you can you can work better you can think better you can you can just kind of be better for for lack of a better word because there's the space is there. There's that negative space. There's all that kind of, um, you know, clean lines, whatever it is, there's just not a lot of clutter that is just stacked there. And just that sort of energy. And I, and it makes total sense when you said like, you know, is this room, did this room carry a lot of drinking energy? Did this one have, was, was it the garage or the shed where you hit all the bottles? Was it the closet where you did like, and so I can see how that going through that process would really, you know, it's almost like a cleansing, right? Like, you know, like, uh, a smudging of some kind yeah. where it's, it's like releasing this energy at the same time you're, you're, you're also releasing these physical objects um, and creating a space that's energetically different from when you were out there drinking, you know, like you said, with the outfits or whatever it is, there's always some sort of physical tie. Yeah, a, a, a big little one I talked about too, because like each section I give different guidance for the room, but it always starts by looking at like your overt and covert drinking signs. So like overt, like you still have like, you know, like a champagne for breakfast sign up somewhere. Like that, <laughs> yeah. that strongly needs to go. But I used to, because when I was so hungover, I, I wasn't able to always like, you know, get up, like going to the, like getting to the bathroom was so hard. So I'd always keep my like Advil on my bedside table. I did that for mm -hmm. like a few months into sobriety. And I started to be like, wait, you know, you don't feel like death when you wake up in the morning. Like it's okay for your Advil to live in the bathroom just those like little those little things and it's still like not about like being like a perfectionist in the process but you know there was just a lot of little habits I had in sculpting my life around drinking the way I did that just you know needed some readjustments yeah it just reminds me of that what's that sign it's it's happy hour somewhere or it's five o'clock somewhere or something like that yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness thing I didn't care any of those it was it, to me, it didn't matter if it was five o'clock anywhere else. It didn't have to be five o'clock anyway. Um, oh, no. <laughs> Any time was a good time. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's, it's nine in the morning, party time. Um, well, um, and I'm going to put this in the, uh, in the show notes and all that, but um, just quickly, where, where could they find uh, Recovering the Home and, uh, you know, how, how do they go about getting it? Yes. So I will, of course, send you the link, but it is recoveringthehome.com. 
And if you're on my Instagram page, which is um, at sharing my sobriety, I, like many other people, have the link tree uh, link in there. So it's at the top um, where you can purchase it. And yeah, that's that's basically where you would find it. Yeah, excellent. Um, you know, just we're, we're just winding down here, uh, Jocelyn, and I just want to thank you again for everything. But, you know, I always ask my guests the same thing at the end of our, our discussions, you know. I'm thinking, you know, for the person out there listening right now who's perhaps new to recovery or struggling or not sure if they should, you know, get into recovery or afraid maybe what their life may look like in recovery, what words of advice or support can you give them? Mm, don't, you don't have to do it alone. It is. A lot of us, especially if we had that type A personality when we were drinking, felt like we had to fix everything and hold everything. And it's really, really hard to do this work alone. And as humans, we're supposed to be with people. So whether that's going to, you know, smart recovery or 12 steps, just to have that human connection, or if you're not, you know, in an area where there's a lot of meetings, or it just really isn't sitting with you being online, um, just because it, it's becoming more common, but it's still a a unique way of living um, that you just, there's this amazing like richness when you can just meet someone else who is sober. Um, it's like meeting a sibling you didn't know. You just have that shared language. So that would be my advice is like, don't think that you have to do this alone. Um, there are plenty of people out there that will support your sobriety and champion you. Lovely. Thank you so much, Jocelyn. This has been illuminating and lovely, educating, insightful. And, you know, you're such a bright light for so many in recovery. And I'm, I'm so happy and honored to have had you here. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Okay. Bye-bye. I want to thank Jocelyn so much for this. I loved her openness and talking about topics that aren't always easy to approach, but need to be discussed. And, you know, there are many paths up the mountain and many different travelers. And while we, you know, we may look and sound different, we all have the same goal. Respect and kindness and holding the space, as Jocelyn mentioned several times, is important in creating a space where, you know, not only we're all welcome, but seen as is. So I just want to thank Jocelyn for that insight. And if you, want to, if you want to find out more about her, you can follow her on Instagram at sharingmysobriety. And her Covering the Home project can be found at www.recoveringthehome.com. And if you have any questions for her, you can email her at info at recoveringthehome.com. She'd love to hear from you. And hey, you know, Jocelyn has been kind enough to give the listeners of Buzzkill a special rate for her program. So there's a code. I know there's a code. Who knew? It's RTH. Buzzkill 50. Uh, and you'll get 50% off the price for her 40-page digital program. That's half the price for you, my dear sweet BKers. <laughs> and it expires at the end of 2019. So definitely jump on it, guys. This code and all the other info will be put on the show notes on SoundCloud. So look for them there. And speaking of insight, uh, just a second ago I mentioned... Um, you know, this is something that as folks in recovery, we're always seeking, you know, you know, within ourselves and life in general. So whether you have six weeks, six months or six years, you know, we're always looking for fuller expression of our true selves. We didn't get sober just to be okay. Am I right? Um, you are here right now listening to this and no doubt reading books and talking to others and moving your body and meditating and a whole slew of things because you love this new sober way of living and you want to maintain that. You want to know more about what makes you tick. So uh, as a life coach who works with people on transition specializing in addiction recovery, I help my clients up-level their sobriety. 
And what does that mean exactly? I've helped clients with things like working on their confidence when it comes to talking to people now that they don't drink. I help them release guilt and shame that they may still be carrying around with them. I help them create ways to be out and socialize, not hide in the bedrooms because they aren't sure what to do. I also help my clients face fears that they have around the future, helping them find the career that invigorates them and other things like that. I help my clients take action on the things that they've always wanted to do by supporting them through accountability and removing the inner and outer blocks that stop them from fulfilling their dreams and goals. I help them create goals that line up with their new lives. Because as you know, when we get sober, we have to create a new way of living in so many ways. And that can be scary or seem daunting. But we break it down and we make it bite-sized and manageable. So if this interests you, message me and let's figure out how I can support you. And what's it costing you not to live the life that booze and drugs promise but could never deliver? You know what I mean? <laughs> if you want to get a hold of me for this or anything else, if you want to give me feedback on the show, if you have another topic idea, if you want to inquire more about coaching and such like that, email me at paul at paulsilvacoaching.com. All right. So that brings us to the end of yet another boombastic and bass in your face baby podcast right here. It's been a blast as always. And I can't wait to get going and do another one. This is my jam, guys. I hope it's yours, too. Until next week, fellow Buzzkillians, arrivederci.